Greetings, geeks, and welcome, pop culture enthusiasts, to the first collaboration between Wizards, the podcast guide to comics, and popgeeks.com, two hubs of genre fun that are ready to explore the world of Xenoscope Comics in a multi-part series that will be presented through both sites over the next few months. This time around, we have with us a man who began his comics career as an editor at Marvel, but his name is also very well known to fans of 90s comics for the books coming from Top Cow Studios in that era. His works include the very popular Witchblade and the Darkness and Aphrodite 9, right? And so many more. Uh, Of course, he's also the writer of Xenoscope's uh, Oz, Return of the Wicked Witch, among others. So we're excited to have you with us, David Wall. Oh, thank you. It's good to be here. Now, uh, we... And actually, wait, I have to correct. I started as an intern at Marvel. uh, Oh, okay. I was an editor. I was an intern. Worked your way Uh, up. I was a high school intern. Wow. Look at that. Excellent. Now, here's the thing. We wanted to give you a heads up because we're coming at this from very different perspectives, okay? Because I'm a guy, I'm very well versed in 90s comics, hence the subject of our podcast. Uh, but I had not read a Xenoscope comic prior to preparing for this episode. Meanwhile, so that- we, we have Michael here. So I've been collecting Xenoscope comics since probably 2010, 2011 or so. Mm. I've got long boxes of filled. I've got trades. I've got all, I've got variant covers of things, posters, bottle openers. I've got a, a, Is that a whole display of, of Zenoscope stuff behind you in the Oh no, that, that's actually ultraviolet light or something that's So that's actually my hot toys and collectibles display where I do have a Van Helsing statue in there that was from the Kickstarter campaign. Wow. You know, the funny thing about like me with Zenoscope was it was sort of a, a a fluke. I was in the comic book store and I saw a cover of the first issue of Red Agent and I picked that up and started just reading about it. And then I got, I, I fell into a rabbit hole of like this, this universe that, that uh, Xenoscope has forged of the different realms and, and reimagining of, of fairy tale characters in a unique and sort of superhero sort of way. And I'm a VIP member with Xenoscope. So I, oh, wow. I, I've got VIP covers and I've even bought, this is how nerdy I am. Like I said, I bought like a, I think it's either Inferno or Courier bottle openers. I collect bottle openers. Um, <laughs> and, and I have a Bell short box that was the print. I've got stickers and all kinds of stuff. Oh, I actually, uh, my, yeah. oh, I'm all the way in. Like I know even during COVID when they were doing like the live events, like the, the VIP events, the events on Facebook, I was tuned in and I've got several of the uh, movie theater cover variants that they've been doing, the movie cover variants. like the. I love those. Oh, I love them. They're beautiful. You know, the Top Gun one, I think, is like is really the, good. The Top Gun one. Oh, for somebody that likes kitschy kind of covers, Adam, Xenoscope does some of the best variants. And every book that they release usually has three to four variants. And then they do some really cool exclusives. They have cereal box variants. They've got movie variants. You name it. And you can even get a poster that shows you which variants and try to like get the them and collect the them. Candy box variants. Yes, the candy box ones. Yeah, it's, it's wild. And they get amazing artists. And you know, that sort of parlays into my first question f- for you is what drew you to Zenoscope? Like what was about about this company that you're like, wow, I want to be a part of this. So since they started, I've been like sort of peripherally around them at various times. Like I wrote an issue of the seven comic when they had that, which was like, oh, yeah. a, that was pretty close to when they started. And then they, at some point asked me to write an issue of Van Helsing. It was like, I'll probably get the issue wrong. 25. 
I don't know. It was. I loved it though. It was really fun. I probably um, have it so, <laughs> somewhere. Yeah, in so I really enjoyed, you know, their sensibility. And when an opportunity came up, you know, a couple of years ago, like I've been lucky, you know, I've been able to work at different comic book places during my career. And the the thing about Zenoscope, even like because I worked with Valiant, you know, before Zenoscope and mm-hmm. and Top Cow before that, and then in between like DC and Marvel, you know, Marvel at the beginning and then DC a few years ago. Like I just liked the, that whole idea of having this universe, this shared universe that all the different characters are in you know i mean yeah. obviously i've creator own stuff i've worked i've written my own creator own stuff with aspen for a while but i just love the idea of like just having this world where all these characters are kind of hanging out and it's like intimate and and like you know part of the job unlike any other place where i've worked we'll basically just look at the what's coming up and just think about how are things going to cross over you know we'll have this like i've been writing gretel so it's like the story mm-hmm. of gretel i'd like it to uh to cross over into this other story and you know when you were at marvel i mean obviously marvel was great and it was fun but it wasn't like you could just pick a character and be like oh you know let's have this character jump into the wolverine you know mm-hmm. universe and, and do that but here it's like this the next issue of van helsing that comes out or the one that did come out you know like she goes to Neverland. Yes. You know, like all these different, like, so not only is there this world, but then there's Wonderland and Neverland and Oz. And it's just, it's fun. It's fun to be in this environment and just to be able to have this small group of people like with Dave and with Joe and with Ralph and to be like, okay, this is what I want to do, you know, mm-hmm. and then they'll, they're there to like help push the story in a direction. But otherwise, you know, we're sort of like um showrunners for like, mm-hmm. you know, for uh, different books and so you can decide like okay next year it's going to cross over this way so it's really fun that's cool so adam to explain you know think of the multiverse for a second and xenoscope kind of structures it as as they call it realms so they have like the neverland realm the oz realm the wonderland realm and then they have like our realm and then they sort of explain how various characters have powers like gretel for example she's kind of like a uh, a witch hunter if you will and when she kills a witch she sort of gets like a tattoo or like a brand on her body and inherits those powers as well and it's really kind of unique and you know, like she toes a line of being crazy at times and it's which is kind of cool and then like red agent who's red riding hood she actually is a werewolf too. So she's the big bad wolf and Red Riding Hood in one character. And each one of them has this sort of unique sort of twist on the way they reimagine the characters, which I, I love. And I find it so interesting how they do that, which is really cool. And I'm curious because, you know, I, I did get a chance to read Oz, The Return of the Wicked Witch, recent uh, project you've been working on. Now, this is what's interesting though, right? Because the Oz universe, it's been adapted so many different ways. Sometimes, you know, for the younger audiences, sometimes for extremely adult audiences. So how for you do you feel that you know Return of the Wicked Witch, this you know little miniseries here, sets itself apart from previous interpretations of the journeys of Dorothy? Well, we go on two sides. Like on one hand, we'll go back and Dave is like really good about this. I'm not as good as Dave is at this, but Dave will go and read it all, right? Like Dave would say there's there's 26, you know, L. Frank Baum Oz stories and, and Dave will, I mean, he did it with Cthulhu that we just had coming out and like, we'll read them or he'll read them and tell me about them. And um, so we try to be fair. I don't know, fair is not the right word. You know, like respectful of the original material to a certain extent. 
but then you know we want to because really if you go back and look at the original all stuff it's really weird like there's a lot of like really really weird all stories i have the original one in, in hardcover back there and it's weird but it's cool it's like a it's yeah, a it's yeah it's definitely yeah. cool and the and the and all the, the characters are cool a lot of the names are not really usable like I, I try to i have to change a lot of the names because they're just they're just a little too offbeat um because <laughs> i guess the like kind of the book on me is i try to keep things you know relatable like as relatable as I can and, and also in air quotes like realistic or grounded I guess like I, I like things to be grounded and one thing about Oz is there's a lot of non-grounded stuff in it so I'll probably sort of like pull in a little bit you know to uh, like the character like Mombi's a real Oz character right yeah Mombi so, I was so excited because I love Return to Oz that movie and I was like they got Mombi in this one <laughs> Well, hopefully we, we, I don't know. I mean, she's different, obviously, but there's oh, a yeah. little, there's some similarities. So we try to take the source material and, you know, just sort of modernize it. Like tell a, not necessarily like adult, like, you know, yeah. I mean, there's nothing like really like crazy in there. Right. But, you know, just try to tell like a, a good story, a good relatable mm -hmm. story. And, and I mean, they're going to veer away from, you know, from the regular Oz, but at the same time, like the next one we're working on, right. This is like a, I don't know, I'm probably revealing stuff too early. But in the original Oz story, there was a character who kind of came to Oz the same time as Dorothy and ends up in this other place. And and we realized with him, like, we could basically just tell this whole story from this other side of Oz. It just seems like it's weird because even though there's 26 Oz books, there's like a lot of like uncharted territory there that, that we feel like we want to cover, you know? Like, it's such a... It's such a fertile place to just come up with new creatures and, and new people and new storylines. It's just, it's fun. And I hope that people who are fans of Oz, you know, could read it and enjoy it. You know, I guess if you were a fan of Oz, you'd like the Return of Oz movie. Hopefully you liked it. But yeah, I mean, that's the goal. So that actually kind of parlays into my next question. Of all the characters you've had to reimagine of the fairy tale realm, which was the most challenging for you to kind of retell at a modern age and give new life in a way that connects to audiences now? I will say that like now, like sitting in the sandbox, you know, and beginning to work on the characters, it's kind of weird because the character that I'm thinking about the most is a character that doesn't really exist in, in, in literary life. Which is Van Helsing, you know, mm -hmm. that we have this, like Van Helsing character. I mean, I guess there was a TV show that Zenoscope was involved with. I yeah. Think producers on it. And it was loosely based on the Van Helsing book. So like Van Helsing, you know, is the son of Abraham Van Helsing. Right. And in the original Zenoscope story, her origin is tied to Dracula and like Dracula, like gets her dad and stuff. So a lot of it is like is based on the actual lore of Van Helsing. Mm -hmm. and Dracula. But then Van Helsing herself is like is a totally, you know, newer character somehow born in the 1850s or whatever, <laughs> but now living in the modern day and working with her and incorporating you know some of the old lore from the original dracula i feel like it has been the most fun that's cool at yeah. the same time yeah. because like there's been so many dracula stories right and vampire stories and and there's something really fun about them and like you know we always want to come back to vampire stories but creating this new universe for van helsing to be part of and, and making sure it's interesting has been the most challenging and fun for me Was that the question? perfect that's great um so one of the things about xenoscope that uh i don't know if adam even knows this or not so like most of their books don't go like you know straight number type of stories except for uh grim fairy tales which kind of stays in its like numbering like 60 70 whatever so on currently or i think we're in volume two which is like the 
daughter of the first uh, Snow White, essentially. But most of the books, what they do, which is really cool, they're all kind of mini series, like a, a one through five, a one through six type of things, except they did about, a, I guess, a year or so ago, they did a, a Van Helsing fi- number 50. And it was like a compilation story. It was great, fantastic. And it was a nice, thick book with a lot of different stories in it. But most of the things are sort of like individual events tied together over overarching, you know, story of that particular sort of ties them together. But I think um, it's really like what we'll do is because we have like a Robin Hood 100 coming out, you know, (laughs) in the fall. So usually like those 75 is when they're like, oh, okay, we're we're in a milestone, even though each individual issue is just like, you know, has its own name, like Van Helsing, Hell to Pay. Yeah. Uh, when we get to Van Helsing 100, then we'll have the 100 issue. Yeah, and they're usually like bigger stories with like... Yeah with like a whole bunch of different elements to them. So yeah, that's fine. I have a question for you. Just, it it feels like over the last 20 years, like the comic book audience has really expanded. Like publishers have really, really tried to break out of just the young white male demographic. They're appealing to a broader audience. And it feels like a lot of that is just the diversity of character types in the books and starring in books. So do you find with a a female focused line like Xenoscope, is it bringing in more female readers that just could because they can identify with the characters i think it does it's interesting with xenoscope because you know like a lot of the covers are kind of racy might be an interesting cheesecake covers Um, yeah (laughs) so i feel like you know sometimes like people might get the wrong idea about us you know just based on that but i mean they're not all like that you know so it's more just like there's because we know that there's a there's part of our audience that's really into that you know but then we definitely do have a base of women who who like our our books and will read them you know which is something that that i've experienced you know since i worked on witchblade and and uh going through all the books that i worked on well that, that's that, that was kind of my follow-up question you know it's safe to say you've had that experience subverting the expectation you got an attractive I, I, female adventurer and everybody's like ooh la la and then they get a bad girl label when it's the 90s it's like oh she's yes, a bad yes. girl and then she goes on to become this like exceptionally enduring character i mean such a long publication history so what in your mind what then is the secret to writing a female hero who ultimately won't be judged simply by her looks or the way she's drawn in the book i think like the word i said earlier i think it's just grounded you know it's like it's like taking it seriously and just not being i guess this isn't this isn't the right word i don't think this word really exists but not not being cheesecakey in the execution you know just like like taking all the characters equally seriously don't fall for stereotypes and just like the common tropes you know just try to avoid them i mean i know with with witchblade like you know i had a co-writer and and she did a lot of work on on helping me i, I guess i always said too that I, I grew up like with my mom and two sisters so I was always trying to to pay attention to that when I wrote those characters, you know, like it's easy to fall into the trap of writing, you know, what you think they're supposed to sound like rather than what people actually sound like. Uh, So I I work hard on making sure that stays realistic. So to to piggyback on that, like, yes, a lot of the characters may be drawn like risque, if you will, but they don't play up that in the stories at all. It's yeah, not I was really, really about surprised. that. When I opened it's, up those books, I was like, whoa, this is like nothing like what the cover is presented. Yeah, they're they're heroes. I mean, and honestly, my favorite character is Belle, and Belle is like fully covered up, like with a full uniform kind of a thing. And I've got a gazillion covers here, tons of variants, you know, 
But what's funny about that, and I said this earlier about the variant covers because they have so many. Do you have any ones that are just like, I love this one. It's beautiful. It's amazing. Showcase stuff like wall books, if you will, kind of thing. I mean, yeah, yeah. There's a few that 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 like I'll come across them, and I don't really want to to, to separate any one from any other one because uh, <laughs> I just wouldn't feel right doing that. But yes, there are definitely ones that 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 I'll look at and be like, wow, you know, that's so cool. I mean, I will. I'll, I'll bring up one artist who um who we work with, Jay Anacleto, who um who does a lot of the covers for us. And I I bring him up too, just because at various times in my career, I've worked with him. Like you know, Brian Haverlin started at Top mm-hmm. Cow with us, and and Jay was sort of a a, a Brian protege i don't know what mm-hmm. the term but uh, like he he kind of worked with brian and I, I love his work and and whenever he does covers for us and then there's just really new guys like dave is really good at like working with new guys eric basil do is another originally top cow guy who is doing a lot of work with them you know like a lot of the guys that are that have gravitated to zenoscope are guys that that i've known and, and worked with before yeah you'll that. you'll see like keith garvey covers you'll see yeah. a son komenaki Yes, um, son is amazing. Amazing. And, does amazing stuff like and this. Carla and Carla Cohen and Igor. Car- oh, Carla Cohen, the poker card covers that she does are just out of this world. Like you can't even imagine how good they just I love seeing you so excited. <laughs> Dude, I'm super nerding out here. I'm, I'm like I'm like fangirling like that face. <laughs> it's really nerdy. Uh, yeah. I have a question about that though, because like you say, you know, Zenoscope kind of has their way they've placed themselves in the marketplace, you know, and this is definitely like, you know, you're going to get one audience this way and then when they're reading it might be a different audience although, although i gotta say the the other audience does like that too i think a lot of the women who read it are, are totally i mean judging from the vip shows that we have and and you know conventions like a lot of them don't mind that either but going back to these people that you say you've known for all these years when you were top cow especially like the industry is cooling off everybody's like it's over it's over then you and mark silvestri just come up with this idea and all of a sudden it's like reigniting a lot of like it kind of points everything in a new direction from superheroes to like mystical fantasy adventure type stuff so what have you perceived that is the biggest difference in the comic book industry from you know the mid 90s and then now like what's changed do you feel like there's more freedom to publish things is there a greater swath of creators there's definitely more freedom to publish things i mean if you think about like when image started it was just marvel and dc i mean i guess dark horse was doing stuff i mean image like it was it was weird because it was sort of the creator owned thing but then it was creator owned like everyone was creating their own universe anyway you know like rob had his universe and jim had his universe and we had our universe and todd us it had his universe so yeah it was it was the opportunity for for a much larger group of people to be involved in the creation than there were before rather than just working like on work for hire so then over the next 30 years since then scary to think think about the whole creator owned landscape has exploded right and then there was always a thought that creator owned things could never really be successful you know and and then first the original image guys proved it but then when you look at something like when the walking dead became like you know the incredible hit that it became mm-hmm. you know that was something different that um that wasn't like marvel or dc that became like one of the hottest superhero related titles ever but then at the same time i think there was a whole kind of writer oriented group of books that have come out over the past like say 20 years too uh you know that that kind of pushed the in another direction dc and marvel like say back in the 
or 60s, 70s, 80s, was very like company centric characters and the editorial world, you know, decides who's going to do what, you know, obviously a huge amount of creators like grew out of that, but it was really editorially driven stuff. Probably like Jim Shooter was sort of like the peak of that at Marvel. But then, you know, even like Marvel up to today is still sort of, you know, editorially driven to a certain extent. And then with us at Image, it became artist driven, right? And then like after that, it kind of became writer driven. And now we're sort of living in that. Like there's still like there's still obviously a big artist driven world, but I think it's just expanded. Like there's different ways to go. And and people like any creator now could just build their own audience and 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 watch it grow. And that's just so different than it was before. I think I think social media helps that as well too, because like there's so there's so many artists that use Instagram or writers that post things that they're doing, or they have you know Patreons now or whatever they. I mean, I think the 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 Kickstarter thing is big of the Kickstarter world connected to the social media makes this decade so different. I think you know, even though it's funny because like the biggest kickstarters are just from comic publishers for the most part yeah uh biggest comic book kickstarters but then you know i, I look at like michael sullivan you know or uh or brandon sanderson you know mm-hmm. like uh, fantasy writers you know who basically have built this whole new audience for themselves through kickstarter yeah and it's a whole different audience because you're not reliant on the the retailers anymore uh, i'm saying for book publishers not reliant on booksellers yeah anymore to build your audience and it's like and you're basically like in the old days you know people would commit to a book like a a lot of retailers were like you know they have i mean i guess they still do right they have like the pull box and Mm -hmm. and like the the pull box the the kickstarter is basically a pull box deal that you're making like directly with the fan yeah because they're ordering their book from you would you say that is it easier or harder to get the word out about a new project? Like back in the day, for example, you know, we're a Wizard Magazine podcast. Like you could put it in Wizard. Everybody who's a comic book fan is reading it. They're going to see it and they're going to know whether Wizard is, you know, saying it's good or bad. They're like, oh, this now, exists. I got to say that depends who you are. And I'm saying how old you are, really, because Wizard Magazine like gave me a chat you know, like in the nineties mm-hmm. on AOL, like this AOL yeah. chat that I hosted every week. And, um, and for a little while I was in the top 10 writer list, you know, and, um, even though I competed with my co-writer, Christina, <laughs> in spot, uh, I still am a little upset at Jim McLaughlin for that. But you know. <laughs> so for me, that world was easier because I can't, mm envision doing a kickstarter now and trying to figure out you know the logistics it's a lot of work it's a lot of work today um i got to think that for 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 people who are succeeding at it like again like like pat shand you know who um who writes for us and has like really successful kickstarters with his creator own projects like the ability to cultivate your own audience to promote yourself to them, you know, get this, this email list that of people who actually want to see your emails, you know, unlike most publishers who send Mm -hmm. emails that no one wants to see. And the, the fact that once people will, will pick up your Kickstarter, you know, they're, they're very likely to pick up the next one too. That ability to cultivate your audience like that is something very special that I think beats anything that was in the past, but I just don't think that that I'm able to do it. I, I don't think that I, that I have the uh, the bandwidth to interact with everyone like that. I think well, too- between the two of you, from the fan perspective and then from the creatives perspective, what is it that Zenoscope has done so well? Why are they connecting? Why do they have such a loyal fan base? What's the secret? 
I think it's, I mean, uh, <laughs> maybe Michael could say better than me, but I think it's really, it's caring about what the fans want and um, incorporating that into the stories. It's the fact, I think, that we're small and able to just work on all the stories and, and there's not like all this external, it's not like we're going to give a story to somebody who's going to write something totally different, sometimes to our detriment. Because I feel like, you know, we kind of keep a heavy hand on the stories because we have, like I said at the beginning, we have this idea of where we want them to go. And Dave and I are always like, ah, I don't think anyone else could write this. You know, we're going to have to do it ourselves because no one else will get it the way we get it. Probably there's a lot of people who will get it, but we do that. And also, it's interesting. I feel like the niche that Zenoscope chose, right, to pick like Grim Fairy Tales or Oz or Neverland, right, gets people to look, right? Because people, because I know Dave always says like, and, and I don't know how Michael got into the first place, but it, if, it, if it was like, oh, look at that, there's someone doing like a grim, a modern retelling of Grim Fairy Tales, right? Mm -hmm. Or like, I know, like Dave always says, like, like people will just glance at something that's Oz related, but will they keep reading it? You know, I think that's the key is like, like we know that, that people will look at it because they'll wonder like what this is about. Like you and Return of the Wicked Witch, right? They'll they'll pick it up. They'll be like, oh, the Wicked Witch, you know, like I wonder what kind of story this is. But then we need to keep them. And I think we're we're good at that. We're good at, at, at telling stories that, that people want to see. From the fan perspective, honestly, it was I was walking through the comic shop. I think I was at Midtown Comics the first time I bought uh, a Zenoscope book and I saw a Red Agent cover that was just so unique. And I just opened it and was like, huh, a reimagining of Little Red Riding Hood. And I was like, okay, I'll buy it. And then as I learned that like all of these stories are five, six issues, let's say, you know, they're not going to be a year long story arc. It's very rare that they do that. And I like that sort of small dose sort of thing. I like that certain characters like Robin Hood are based in New York or Van Helsing's based in London. And then they had these other realms. And I just kind of interested in something different. And oftentimes you get with stories from in particular, you know, the big two, the same stories over and over again. Like we've seen so many crises or we've seen so many, you know, secret whatevers and so on. And Zenoscope is able to, as you said, like play in a sandbox a little bit different and sort of mix things up. And and I really enjoy that. It's the stories, they take themselves seriously, but they also know how to have fun with it as well, which I really, really enjoy. And in particular, I think they figured out like with COVID, right? And everybody being remote and doing these sort of like fan only events via Facebook or VIP. And the company is in a lot of ways similar to Wizard, where it's a smaller group of people that are reaching out to a much bigger audience. And, you know, they do these like, you know, live events where they're showcasing stuff and you can chat into it or email directly to somebody there. Say, hey, can you pull that book for me? Can you get me this? Or like, I'll go to the comic shop and I'll have a receipt of all the books that I bought at the comic shop, email them. They'll give me rewards points based on what I bought in the shop, not even from the website. Oh. And it's really, really cool. And I've never had a problem if there was an issue with something, in particular, when it comes to covers covers that reach anybody. You could have, you know, movie covers or cereal box covers or candy covers or what they call like their Z-labeled covers, which are sort of like adult covers, but then they also have different versions of that. And they like had cosplay covers. Somewhere. Yeah, well, it, I, that's what we're, we're living in this time of multiverses in, you know, the general pop culture, you know, the audiences are understanding it. I know you kind of had a question in that vein, Michael. I'm very curious. To okay. Since you've worked in various comic public why at Zenoscope, is there 
a character that you would love to pull from another imprint or another publication and have them interact with a character in the Xenoscope universe? Probably Harley Quinn. Ooh, that's a good one. That'd be interesting. I'd love to see like a Vampirella versus like Van Helsing sort of a story. Like that would be wild. Yeah, that'd be cool too. (laughs) That'd be wild. I'd love to see like Green Arrow meeting Robin Hood and just like the two of them bantering back and forth. They're both, you know, Robin Hood-esque characters. One of my favorite things I ever did was was, like when I when I worked the Top Cow, I was able to do the Marvel crossover because I was friends with Mark Grunewald and he like let me do it even though he passed away while we were working on it mm. Oh wow. um, but that was so much fun I remember doing a Witchblade Wolverine story with that. that was like my <laughs> one of my favorite things to this day that I've ever worked on that must have been so cool and getting to work with people that I used that I work with at Marvel like Larry Hama wrote one of our stories and, oh yeah that's right really fun yeah, we, we cool. covered those on the podcast. That was a very <laughs> good series. Yeah, the yeah. whole Devil, Devil's Raid stuff. That was great. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like that's underrated. It Maybe is. Yeah. No, I I think it is. There was some, especially like there's some stuff with like Ballistic and Ghost Rider that was just hilarious. <laughs> like there's some good stuff there. So, yeah, well, you know, it was kind of weird because like half of them were ours and half of them were Marvel's. Mm-hmm. And I felt like, like, I don't know, no offense at this point, but I felt like a lot of the Marvel ones, like some of the guys who were working on them weren't taking it as seriously as we were <laughs> well, as an editor in chief that kind of bothered me a little yeah bit. i'm sure for yeah. sure i mean this has just been so fun just especially for michael just to pick your brain and get your thoughts about the old days about what's going on now uh just yeah, very it's been curious. Fun. yeah where can people find you online where can they get connected so they can find out about the latest project that's dg wool at instagram and um and i'm on facebook and uh Xenoscope, their Instagram, you know, is promoting a lot of my stuff and on Facebook. And you can also go on the Xenoscope website and they have like a catalog of all the past books and you can look up certain issues of that. They might have back issues of it on the website you could check out and and order. They even do a really cool thing every once in a while where they like send you, if you're a subscriber to their email, like I am because I'm a nerd, um, and they'll give you like free digital copies of certain books. Like there was a certain character that I had never read before and I was like, oh, here, you want a digital copy of this? And I downloaded that and ended up buying the whole trade because I like the the thing. It's just yeah, it's we're cool trying stuff. To do more of that too. Yeah, that stuff's great. Uh, but, but we're definitely trying to do more on Instagram. You know, our Zenoscope Instagram and I think TikTok. What Michael really needs to know is: Are there any more bottle openers on the horizon? <laughs> oh, <laughs> please don't even. I, 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 oh. Probably so. Oh please! <laughs> and if they, if they ever come out with hot toys of of Zenoscope characters, they'll be like, oh, they're shipping them to Long Island again. Here we go. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, yeah. Again, this has been fun. Zenoscope is everywhere uh, you can find them. But Michael, so is Wizards, the podcast guy, the comics. Where can people find us? So our Instagram is wizards underscore comics. Our Twitter is wizards comics. Our Facebook is wizards comics. And then we have a, a wizards YouTube channel. We have mini episodes. We've got interviews like this. We've got, you know, the wizard files. You can go to wizardscomics.com for our website for tons of back issues and episodes. And how, we've got like, what, 200 something episodes now? 300 yep. or something? Yeah, something over, over 200. It's pretty yeah, wild. It's, we've had it's a insane. Fun, fun ride the last couple yeah. of years. But hey, until next time, keep your books bagged and boarded.